girls' choir. And so my wife, Sarah, was invited to be a sponsor on their trip to New York City where they sang in front of the Statue of Liberty and sang at St. John's Cathedral, had a wonderful time, made some great memories. I, on the other hand, uh, went with uh, my other daughter, Elizabeth, and my son, John. We drove down to San Antonio uh, to help celebrate my father-in-law's 76th birthday. And they had a great time with their grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Everything was great. And almost all of it met my expectations except for one small thing. Uh, months ago, I, as a huge Spurs fan, bought Spurs tickets. You know, in fact, my phone has got the Spurs emblem on it. I'm a huge Spurs fan, and I bought Spurs tickets to watch them play the Los Angeles Clippers, which are a pretty good team this year, and I was excited to watch this game on Tuesday night, and, and I went on to StubHub to buy these tickets, and I noticed that it was row 20, but I... I thought, well, it's a, big, it's a big stadium, and row 20 is not that, but I hadn't really noticed what the section it was in. And actually, on StubHub, you have this little button you can click, and it shows you what the view will be from the seats you're supposed to purchase. And so I saw that the view was right there in the middle of the court, and I thought, these are good seats. This is mid-court. It'll be fine. Well, when I got there, I realized that not only is it row 20, but it's in section 223, which is the upper deck. And so as I was making my ways to the seats, and, you know, my ears were popping because of the higher altitude, I was trying to keep my nose from bleeding, uh, I get to the top and I see that there are 23 rows in section 223 and I am in row 20, three seats away from the very top. I'm pretty sure I saw Bob Euchre up there somewhere. Anyway, I'm thinking, oh man, I can't believe this. This is awful. I can't believe I spent this money on these tickets. It would have been a lot uh, cheaper to, to sit there and, and watch it at home. And in fact, if I wanted to see the players' faces, I had to watch the Jumbotron, you know, up on the, on the stadium board, board there. But I could see the whole court, which is good. But as I turned to John, he seemed happy. He, he seemed happy to be watching the game. He was happy eating his $5 cotton candy <laughs> with his $4 bottle of water. And his $9 nachos. Uh, not that I'm keeping track of the tab, but anyway, I was like, this is going to be an expensive experience, and we're so high, I don't even know if he can see the game. Well, one of the beauty of sitting in the cheap seats is that the people who sit in the cheap seats, they are passionate fans. Uh, I have, by God's grace, had moments where I've gotten actually floor seats. They're not as passionate of fans. Uh, they kind of sit in their refined clothes and sit back and watch the game. But in the upper deck, I mean, they're yelling every play, and they started on every offensive position, go, Spurs, go, go, Spurs, go. And I looked down at my son, John, and he was catching Spurs fever, which for me was the purpose of the trip and the, getting the game. So he's yelling, go, Spurs, go. And, and then I look over here, and when they're playing defense, it's like, defense, defense. And he's yelling, defense, defense. And he's getting all into the game. And then about midway in the second quarter, the referee makes a really bad call. And these passionate Spurs fans laid out their passion on that referee. And I heard the most creative use of profanity I'd ever heard before. (laughs) And my son John starts to recite them like, whoa, John, stop. (laughs) I had to cover his ears. Yeah, I had hoped my son would grow in his Spurs fever. What ended up happening was he grew in his vocabulary that day. But as Joe Morris pointed out to me, at least I was there to correct him. And at least he didn't learn those words from me, right? So that's good. But I was able to teach him, encourage him, but it didn't meet my expectations. What are we to do when things don't go our way? We make plans and those plans just aren't met. Our expectations are not met. What are we to do when things don't go according to plan? To find out, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It may be found on page 1077 of your pew Bibles. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, page 1077 of your red pew Bibles. 
But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Mark to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. God, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a Savior who came and you exceeded all of our expectations. I pray, Lord, that this morning as we read your word, you'd give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and a heart that would be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and will send it back to her immediately. Send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The people of Israel in the first century had very specific expectations for their Messiah. We can see in verse 10 of our text this morning that the Jewish crowds at Passover had the expectation that Jesus, a descendant of David, who had actually been born in the town of Bethlehem, which is the town the Messiah was going to come from, according to the prophet Micah, that Jesus, this Jesus, was going to reestablish the kingdom of David. They thought that Jesus was coming here as the next king of Israel to help free them from Roman rule, to be a king like David was. After all, Jesus had proven to be a great miracle worker. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, you will see that that Jesus does some remarkable miracles. He he casts out demons. He feeds 4,000, then he feeds 5,000 with just just a little bit of bread and some fish. He cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic. He calms a storm. He walks on water. And he even brings the dead back to life. Yes, Jesus was the great miracle worker, and so everyone thought that this Jesus, this this descendant of David from, from Bethlehem, he is the next Messiah, and he's coming into Jerusalem to help us be freed from the hand of the Roman powers. Yes, as Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem, everyone who knew Jesus thought that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to reestablish the kingdom of David. After all, ever since Jesus began his ministry, he'd been preaching about the, the kingdom of God. We see in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, it says, Now after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. Now, every first century Jew who heard Jesus talk about the the kingdom of God being at hand, they thought about the promises that the prophets had given that God was one day going to free the people of Israel. He was going to redeem the people of Israel and conquer all of their enemies so that their kingdom might once again be established. After all, they were God's chosen people, were they not? And centuries before, God had chosen a young shepherd boy named David to help lead these people, to help bring the tribes of Israel together as one nation. As you read through the story of King David that we find in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we'll see that God guiding David allowed David to conquer the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Syrians, the Philistines. As 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 6 states, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. God used David to help conquer the foreign nations in ancient Palestine, to help establish Israel as the, the dominant nation in ancient Palestine. And Jews in the first century viewed the, the kingdom of David as the glory days of Israel. Those were the good old days, right? And based on the prophecies of the Old Testament, every Jew in the first century was expecting the Messiah to come from the, from the house of David born in the city of Bethlehem. And he was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God's people, the kingdom of David, through military success, as David had done. That's why the Jewish crowds on that first Palm Sunday yelled at the top of their lungs, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. People who had seen Jesus do miracles, people who had heard Jesus' teachings, thought for sure that he was coming to reestablish the kingdom of our father, David. That's why in Mark 10, the chapter right before this, James and John, the the two brothers, uh, two of Jesus' disciples, come to him and said, hey, when you come into your glory, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit one at your left and the other at the right hand as you come into your kingdom? That's what they were all expecting. Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom like the kingdom of Israel was in the good old glory days of King David. But Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom created by military power, did he? As a Messiah, Jesus did not meet their expectations. In fact, in both Mark 8 and Mark 10, Jesus tells them that he is going to be persecuted by the scribes and the priests, and they are going to have him killed. He tells them that as the Messiah, as the Son of Man, as the Christ, as the Anointed One, he's going to Jerusalem to die, but no one seemed to be listening or they didn't want to hear what he had to say. Because no one could imagine the Messiah would be killed. If you remember in Mark 8, uh, when Jesus interviews Peter and he, he says, who do people say that I am? And, and, Mark, and Peter gets it right and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, great Peter, you're the rock in which I'm going to build my church. And then he says, I'm going to have to suffer and die. And Peter says, no, I won't have it. And then Jesus says this that we find in Mark 8, chapter 33. These harsh words to Peter. Mark 8, chapter 33. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter has done this great job of passing the test. Who do people say that I'm? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yet Peter couldn't see, as his chief disciple, that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And so he tries to to rebuke Jesus. No, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are thinking about the things of men, not the things of God. Jesus knows that he's going to Jerusalem to die, to die for the sins of the world. 
And all the pleas of his disciples are not going to keep him from fulfilling his mission. It says God's son, God incarnate, fully God and fully man, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen on this holy week. Jesus knows that these same crowds of people who are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are the same people who on Friday are going to say, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, Jesus knows why he's going to Jerusalem. Jesus has a plan. And we can see from our text this morning that Jesus is very much in control. Notice that he he tells these two disciples to go and he tells them exactly where they're gonna find a colt. And not just any colt, but a colt that has never been ridden. Which according to the words of the Old Testament, that meant that that animal had not been defiled, that it would be uh, able to be used for holy purposes. Jesus knew that there was this colt that had never been ridden and he told them where to find it and he tells them what to say when the people ask them, why are you taking this? Tell them that the Lord has need of it. It's like in uh, Star Wars when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi says, these are not the droids you're looking for. I mean, the people just go, okay, the Lord wants it. Go take it. Jesus knew that that was going to be the reaction because Jesus knows everything. As God incarnate, he was not surprised. He knew what the plan was. In fact, this plan to ride this colt, this foal of a donkey, as you saw a moment ago, is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Where the Messiah, uh, Zechariah says uh, about the Messiah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In ancient times, when a king would come into a city after a great uh, battle or victory to help show his power, he would ride a great stallion. But that's not what Jesus rode. Jesus rode a lowly colt, humble, as a humble king. It's this final week in Jerusalem as we can see from our text from Zechariah and as we can see as Jesus tells his disciples what to do and where to go and what to say. It's all a part of God's plan. Jesus knows it. Jesus is not surprised by anything. Jesus knows everything that's supposed to happen and he has a plan to make it happen. You know, the next time we become frustrated that things aren't going our way, that nothing seems to be going according to our plans, Like Jesus tells Peter in Mark chapter 8, we need to pause, we need to pray, and we need to set our minds on the things of God. And we need to ask God, God, what are you doing in the midst of these circumstances? Even when the sin of others causes us pain or grief, or even when the broken broken circumstances of of this broken world cause us pain in the midst of trials, we need to ask God, what is it, God, you're doing in the midst of these circumstances Perhaps God wants to use these challenging times to help shape our character, to make us more into the men and women of God that he's calling us to be. Perhaps God has a plan to use our trying times to help bring glory to him. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, think, all things, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Yes, our God has a plan. If we can see anything from our text this morning is that God has a plan and he's very much in control. He does not abdicate control of his creation. No, he's working in and through our circumstances to do the work of his kingdom. And as we can see in our text this morning, he actually invites us to participate in his saving plan. Notice that Jesus sends two of his disciples to go get that colt. Jesus could have gotten the colt of himself, but he sends those two disciples to go get that colt. Go get that colt. He tells them what to say. And as we read through the Gospel of Matthew, if we read the very end of the Gospel of Matthew or the very first chapter of Acts, we will see that God has commissioned each one of us, called each one of us to go and make disciples, to point others to the reign of Christ, to the kingdom of God. 
to be witnesses. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea or Samaria, but to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations. Because the people of Israel were expecting a Messiah who would save Israel. But God sent a Messiah who came to save the world. A world that we are called to help influence. A world that we are called to help point others to the reign of Christ. Yes, the truth is that the kingdom of God that Jesus preached about and that he came to inaugurate exceeded everyone's expectations. For the kingdom of God, it's a kingdom that is guided by love, not hate. It's a kingdom that celebrates selfless giving, not selfish gain. It's a kingdom where peace and joy reign rather than anger. It's a kingdom where, where, we, where people treat others the way they'd want to be treated by loving them as they love themselves. It's a kingdom where everyone is invited to join and participate in the work and has a role to play. It's a kingdom where mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a kingdom where grace abounds and gratitude becomes our great motivator as we seek to bring glory and honor to God out of gratitude for all that he has already done for us in Jesus Christ. Yes, while Jesus was here on this earth, his principal message was that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God, the reign of God was made known in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The power of God was made known in his life, death, and resurrection. And now the kingdom of God will not be fully revealed or, or realized until Jesus returns. But until that day, we are called to bear witness to the reign of Christ in our own lives. How might we make the reign of Christ, the lordship of Christ, known in our lives today? How might we help point others to Christ in our places of work, among, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our social circles, in our community? You know, whenever we serve others, as this team just went to Acuna, Mexico and, and built a house for a needy family, whenever we serve others, we bear witness to the reign of Christ in our lives. Whenever we patiently listen to a friend or a coworker who's going through a hard time and we offer to pray for them, we bear witness to the reign of Christ in our lives. Whenever we offer an encouraging word to someone who's having a bad day, perhaps offering the word of God, we don't necessarily have to give sight, chapter, and verse, but just to offer a word of blessing to someone, we point to the reign of Christ in our lives. When we remain peaceful and calm in the midst of stressful circumstances, we bear witness to the reign of Christ in our lives. When we invite others to join us in worship of Almighty God, we bear witness to the reign of Christ in our lives. Hopefully most of you received this mailer uh, this last week, uh, inviting the community to come and join us uh, this Holy Week for our celebrations. We've got Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and of course Easter Sunday. And if you didn't get one, or maybe you did get one, but you have a friend who needs it, we've got several copies, extra copies in the narthex as you leave to take one and give to a coworker or a classmate or a neighbor or a friend or a family member. Say, come and join us as we celebrate the good news of God's amazing love that while we were yet sinners, God sent his one and only son here to this earth who was without sin to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might begin to live a new life, so that we might live as citizens in his kingdom today. Yes, Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah that anyone was looking for. But through his life, death, and resurrection, 
Jesus proved to be a greater Messiah than anyone could have possibly imagined. A Messiah who came to save the whole world with his death on a cross and to conquer sin and death on our behalf with his resurrection on the third day. He invites us to continue to do the work of his kingdom so that others might join us in that Palm Sunday declaration. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's say it together. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, Hosanna, save us is that prayer, that praise that we offer today, that you are a God who saves us, who came to save us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who bore witness to the reign of, of God, the kingdom of God, And you invite us to to be a witness of your reign in our own lives today. That we can live a new life as citizens in your kingdom today when we simply say yes to Jesus. And guided by your Holy Spirit, we seek to follow you by loving others as you have loved us, by serving others as you served us, by giving generously as you gave to us. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, help us to be bold in our witness to you today so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. In response to God's proclaimed word, please stand and join me.